and appropriate that we enjoy church as much as we do. Um, this morning, we, I, I'm preaching on really one of my favorite Bible stories, which is from John chapter 9, the man born blind. But before we get that, I want to read something from Philippians. So, you know, if Paul had a favorite church, it may well have been the Philippian church. And throughout the four chapters, it's just saturated with love and affection. And you can feel the bond. It's, it's interesting that this church, um, I, I think it's three or maybe four times, he recounts they've already supported the, uh, Paul financially. So they'd put their money with their mouth there. They'd sacrificed and they'd blessed Paul. And he talks about being in partnership in the gospel with them. But listen to this from verse 8. God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And for me, this is one of the great testimonies of being a Christian, is that we get to experience something in our hearts that testifies to the reality of what Jesus has done in our lives. You know, it's not just, it's not just loving people when you don't feel like it. It's not just going to church out of duty. It's like I'm at church and I'm seeing all these faces and I'm loving being here, and I'm feeling affection in my heart to one another. And that's why in the Bible, we're encouraged to meet with one another. Come to church on a Sunday, meet for prayer, meet in your small groups, meet for coffee, work side by side, and encourage one another, and enjoy that we get to do the Christian life together. Isn't that amazing? So, anyway, that's quite a long long-winded way of just saying that all of you are just so beautiful, and I'm so glad to be in church with you this morning. It's wonderful. And, and thank you for those of you that come when it's not easy. Thank you, Anne. You encourage us. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Shane, for your faithfulness. You know? Even with when you're less than a, fully able to be here and to participate in worship with us. And thanks again, Ben. That was just amazing. Thank you for the encouragement that I'm feeling from, from you guys this morning. So, anyway, wow. Um, so, John chapter 9, one of my key like, goals this morning is that you guys really enjoy the Word this morning, that you see Jesus as Messiah reaching out to this man that was born blind, that the that the, the Pharisees despised. They said, you were born in utter sin. They said, you were so bad in your mother's womb that God cursed you in the womb. That's why you were born blind. That's what they believed. That was the only thing that they could come up with to make sense of why someone could be born blind. And never in the history of the world, this man subsequently says, never in the history of the world had anybody that been born blind healed. So this is such a special story. And John allocates a whole chapter to it, not just to the miracle, but to the conversation that happens thereafter. So I really hope that you're going to enjoy this a lot. And and I don't just hope that, but I'm going to pray that. So, Father, Lord, we come to you to celebrate your word, to celebrate your power, to celebrate your miracle-working acts, Lord, in this man's life and in our lives, Lord. I thank you for the testimonies, Lord, that have been shared from Peter and Michael this morning that have encouraged us so much, but so many testimonies that we hear all the time. And, Lord, 
I pray for boldness, Lord, that all of us, Lord, would be encouraged to share our testimonies and encourage one another. And may we love the preaching of your word. May we love the reading of your word. May we be inspired by the story in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 9, as I said, it's quite a long story. So who the role players in the story? Well, obviously, there's Jesus. Obviously, they're the disciples, and then there's the man born blind. But there are also the neighbors, his parents, and then the Pharisees as well. So I'm going to talk just a little bit before we read through the whole thing, all the way from verse 1 to verse 38, so prepare yourselves. I'm just going to talk a little bit about it and describe it a bit. And then the story outline. So first it's Jesus and the disciples, but the man is close by. Then there's the actual healing, which is only two verses. Then there's a discussion with the neighbors, an interrogation by the Pharisees. These guys hauled this man in, and they interrogated him. Four times, he or his parents are asked, how? How did this happen to you? You know, explain what went on. And again, the context here that something like this has never, ever happened before. And they actually, you know, they listen to the neighbors. And remember, this is in a Jewish context where on the evidence of two or more witnesses, the truth is established. So you've got all these neighbors, and they're saying, okay, we, we've engaged with this guy, and, we found, and we're now bringing him to you, the Pharisees, and we're telling you what's happened. This is a big deal. And the Pharisees are like, uh-uh, call his parents. We want to hear from his parents that he was born blind. You know, it's okay. We, we can understand how someone who was blind was healed, but that he was born blind and then healed, no, that doesn't make any sense to us, because they knew that this was a special miracle. This was a miracle that testified that the one who had done this healing was Messiah, and they didn't want to accept that truth at all. And then finally, there's this precious moment where Jesus goes out and finds this man again. Remember now, this man hasn't seen Jesus. He's met Jesus, and he's heard Jesus, but Jesus sent him away, and then he got his, his healing. So he's never seen anyone before his healing. Now he's engaged with the neighbors, he's engaged with the Pharisees, but he hasn't seen Jesus. And Jesus goes and finds him. And then they have the special miracle moment. Okay, so I just want to make a few more points that everybody knew that he was not just blind, but that he was born blind. And that's emphasized in the first couple of verses. Where the, the disciples saw a problem... And asked, who is to blame? What is the reason for this? Jesus sees an opportunity for redemption and salvation and to bring glory to God. I, I, I said that four times this man is asked, always parents, how did this happen to you? Why, more than any other miracle, did this create such incredulity? Now, the parents get a bad rap for being afraid of the Pharisees. Well, everybody was, except for Jesus. But I think... This is my reading of the scripture, that they raised their boy well. He had faith, and he was waiting for the coming of Messiah, whom he knew was the only one that could deliver him out of his disability. He was waiting for Jesus. Another interesting point is this is the longest recorded discussion between the Pharisees and anybody else in the Gospels. Obviously, in the book of Acts, we get to see the, the disciples after the miracles engaging with the Pharisees. But other than in the Gospels, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, we have this example, which shows the true heart of the Pharisees, which is not pretty. Note this man's statement that this miracle has never been done before, 
And note also the Pharisees' statement that this man, from their point of view, was born in Atticin. Jesus, of course, would disagree. Okay, so we're ready. John chapter 9 from verse 1. As he passed by, ain't no ways Jesus was passing by. <laughs> he was walking along, but he was not going to pass by this man. Thank you, Brother English Pete, for demonstrating your affection in Christ for me and giving me some water. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Listen to this. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So those are the only recorded words that Jesus says to the man at this stage in the story. Siloam means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Hallelujah. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it's, it's him. Others said, No, but he is like him. You see, they couldn't believe that he had been healed. He kept saying, I am the man. So he was testifying to the miracle. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud, uh-oh, and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. So they're talking about Jesus. They always want to find, pick a hole in what Jesus is doing. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, duh, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. I mean, <laughs> give me a break. Until they had called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then? How does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. doesn't tell us exactly how old he is, but he's an adult. His whole life he's been waiting for this miracle. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Often when John says the Jews, he means the leaders of the Jews or the Pharisees. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Love this answer. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind... Now, I see. After the story, he, he went out and he wrote a little song called Amazing Grace. Once was lost. 
Okay. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple. Well, hallelujah. That, they meant that as an insult, but I'll take that as a compliment. But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, and this is a sermon right here. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. But Jesus, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. Okay, so one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I hope you're enjoying it too. <laughs> okay. okay, so why such a big deal? Why a whole chapter? Why all the subsequent ref- conversation and references that establish this miracle are so important? Why does, God place so much emph- uh, why does John place so much emphasis, and God, place so much emphasis on this? And now listen, if you jump through to uh, John chapter 10 and 11. So Jesus, he does the parable of the good shepherd, and uh, there's this, this uh, whole uh, dispute again about, you know, is this, because the Pharisees are saying, this guy's, the only reason he can do these miracles is because he's, he's Beelzebul, he's the prince of demons. And so there's this debate. And then people are asking, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? In John chapter 11, when Lazarus is dead, and the, the people are saying, if only Jesus had got here on time. They said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So this made a profound impact on the community. They didn't say, could this man who raised the, the, the son of the widow of Nain, that story that's recounted in Luke chapter 11, the man who raised some from the dead, could he not have healed Lazarus? But they go to this miracle. Um. So can you just see the, the contrast there? And that this, this is specifically highlighted. And, and that particular example in John chapter 11, that would have happened probably six months later. So in John chapter 7, we hear about the... Because this all happens in the last six months of Jesus' ministry. You hear about the Feast of Booths, which is about September or October. Then, then came the healing of the blind man, which is probably shortly around that time. Um, in John chapter 10, it says it was winter, and it was around the Feast of Dedication, which is Hanukkah, or around Christmas. And then Lazarus got healed sometime just before the Passover. So probably about a five or six-month period that had passed, and the people were still talking about that specific miracle. And what's interesting here, and this is, I'm always very careful to say this, because you might just not completely ignore what I'm going to say, but the, the, the Bible doesn't tell us this very clearly, but it seems that... There were three miracles that the Jews were expecting that the Messiah would perform, which no one else 
had ever done before. And so the Pharisees were saying, when Messiah comes, because obviously everyone's waiting for Messiah, when Messiah comes, he's going to do this, he's going to do this, he's going to do this. And this miracle was one of those three miracles. So it's not laid out in the Bible, these are the three specific things, but this is what the people were saying. And you can see that from, because the, the Pharisees were such good record keepers, so they wrote about these kinds of things. The other two, by the way, were to heal a man or a woman that was um, demon-possessed such that he or she could not speak. Because the Jews had, you know, the, the, that they still prayed for people in the name of Adonai or Yeshua, and they saw people be delivered from demons, but they had a particular way of doing it, which was to engage with the demon. What's your name? What are you doing here? Now get out kind of thing. So one thing that they were never able to do was heal someone that couldn't talk back to them, because that then stopped their process. So just an interesting story about that's one of the messianic miracles. And of course, Jesus has already set free someone that was demon-possessed. The second one, which is to heal a Jewish leper. So you read in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, there's this whole long process that when someone shows signs of leprosy, they must go to the priest and there's sacrifices and there's all this process. And then that person is, you know, basically banished from the town. They must go and live outside the town, etc. And then Luke chapter 14, it's about three pages. So all the processes that the priest must go through when someone is healed of leprosy. And guess how many people, since the giving of the law of Moses, had been healed of leprosy? Zero. So the high priest or any priest had never gone through this process. All this de these detailed prescriptions laid out in the book of Leviticus, but it's never happened. But of course, Jesus healed the leper. And that's why he said, go to the priests and show, show them as a proof to them. And Caiaphas, one of the most evil high priests ever to live, the one that put Jesus to death, you know, he gets nine of these guys, because remember, one went back to Jesus. Nine of them come knocking on his door. I was a leper. See, it's in your books. I'm healed now. And so Jesus is telling them, I'm Messiah. And then, anyway, so this is the third one. They were a man born blind, because it never happened before. They said, when Messiah comes, he will heal someone born blind. And you ask the question, well, what about raising someone from the dead? Why wasn't that a messianic miracle. Well, because Elijah had done that, and Elisha had done that. So that's why in Luke chapter 7, when this, the, the son of the widow in Nain is raised, they say, a great prophet has arisen among us. They don't say, this is the Messiah. They say, this is someone that would be equal to Elijah or Elisha. But what no one ever thought about was that after a body being in a tomb for four days, we're talking about the miracle of Lazarus, that that person could be raised. And that's what we'll hear, we'll hear about next week. Anyway, so Jesus entered the last days of his ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's just healed the, the ten lepers. He'd already healed a single leper before that. And now he does this miracle. Now, I just want you to imagine the scene. So we said, as Jesus is passing by... But we're not talking about the N2 with two lanes and then a row with some scraggly bushes and some dried up grass and then another two lanes and the man born blind is on the other side. We're talking about, this is a, a small road. And, and I imagine that as Jesus is walking past and he comes up to this man born blind and he now has this conversation with the disciples, this man can hear everything that he says. Now remember, he's been told by the Pharisees, you were born in utter sin. 
But listen to what Jesus says to him. He says, it's not because of his sin. It's not because of his parents' sin. Where others would look to find blame, Jesus said, it's not about his sin, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So this man hears two things. He's waiting for Messiah. I'm speculating. It seems to me that his parents have been telling him, you know, they've been teaching him the word of God. They've been, they've been saying to, they've been praying with him every day. Messiah will come. Messiah will hear you. And what does he hear from this man whom he knows is Jesus? You think about in John chapter 5 when the man was healed, the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. He, they said to him, who, who was it that did this to you? He said, I don't know. But this man says it was Jesus of Nazareth. So he's been hearing stories of Jesus, and he hears Jesus is coming, and he's waiting at the side of the road, and he hears Jesus say two things, it's not your fault. And he hears Jesus saying, today the works of God are going to be displayed in you. See, Jesus, before he ministers to the body, he ministers to the soul, and he gives us hope. Because without hope, you know, we poor, and we, 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 cannot, we, we cannot experience all those other blessings. But Jesus speaks hope into this man's heart. Okay, so, and then, so, I, so I believe faith was arising in his heart. Um, okay, and then, and then he, ha- he needed to be obedient. So Jesus, Jesus speaks faith into him, and now he says, go, go wash in the pool of, of Siloam. So off the man goes. But now before that happens, Jesus spits in the ground. Now, now this man has been told by the Pharisees, you were born in Atasin, and that was kind of their doctrine. If, if somebody was born blind, this guy was such a no-gooder, such a, such a terrible rascal, that, um, that, that, that was, it was his fault for these consequences. So I imagine it's not the first time that someone has spit on him. You know, maybe there were Pharisees that kind of walked past him and cursed him. So he hears the words, but then he hears that sound that someone makes when they're spitting. And then, I mean, so Jesus is obviously right there in front of him. He's got mud washed, or I mean, smeared all over his face. Now, I'm, now, now, he, now he needs to go off to the pool. And so can you imagine if he meets, maybe he didn't have many friends because he's a bit of an outcast, but he meets someone that he knows, and someone says to him, mud all over his face, what happened to you? Now, he could have said, well, someone spit and then put mud all over my face. I mean, that sounds like that's being really nasty to someone with a disability. But I don't think he said that. I think he said, I just met Jesus. I just met Jesus, and Jesus said to me, my physical condition is not my fault. And he said to me that the works of God are going to be displayed in me today, and I'm on my way to wash. So don't delay me, because I'm going to get my healing. Okay. Obviously, I'm you know, making all, all that up, but we're just trying to imagine the scene. And then we, have, then, then we have all of this backwards and forwards between this man and the neighbors, and then ultimately this man and the Pharisees. And what I see from him is he's not afraid to testify. He says it was the man called Jesus. Remember we'd read that the Pharisees already agreed, if anyone says, I'm a follower of Jesus, you're going to get kicked out of the synagogue, you're going to be expelled from polite society, etc. This man doesn't care. He says, Jesus healed me, and he testifies, and he preaches at the Pharisees. I want to make a point again. Sometimes it takes a long time to get your miracle. He'd been waiting a long time for Messiah, 
but he was still waiting and he was still trusting. In John chapter 5, the, the man that was healed, the Bible said that he'd been there 38 years. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, so Peter and John go up to the temple, and there's the man there that has been lame since birth. And he's been laid at the beautiful gate for years and years and years. At the end of Acts chapter 4, halfway through Acts chapter 4, it says he was more than 40 years old. So this man, at least 18 years, because we know he's an adult. The man at, at the pool of Bethesda, 38 years. The man in Acts chapter 3 and 4 who was, who was born lame, more than 40 years. But when we're patient and we endure and we wait and we keep trusting, then our miracle happens. The purpose of signs is to bring glory and worship to God. And what this man did, just like Thomas, when Thomas finally saw the risen Christ, he fell at, his, at his, Jesus' feet. He fell onto his knees and he, he, he proclaimed the deity of Jesus. He said, my Lord and my God. And this man, when Jesus goes out and finds him, he says, yes, Lord, I believe in you, the Son of Man, because that was a messianic title, and he worshipped Jesus. And the purpose of the signs is also to, to testify and tell the truth to the world. So the Pharisees, they'd had the, the, the ten lepers, the, the one man, the single occasion, and then the nine out of ten. They'd had all these, these people come. They'd seen all the signs and the wonders that Jesus had done. And now this man, and they, they get to interrogate him. They get to ask him all these questions, and he testifies to them. Let's read it again from verse 30. This, wow, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? But here I am standing before you, and I'm telling you, I'm showing you that I've been healed. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So what he's saying is, this man is from God. So he testifies to the goodness, the power of Jesus. He testifies to his miracle. And then he goes on his way, and Jesus comes and finds him. And Jesus connects with him, and they have this special moment of worship, Because if and when you get your miracle, the right response is to worship Him. And if you, don't get your, if you don't get your miracle today or ever, you still worship Him. That's still the right and appropriate response. Because we worship Him on the basis of who He is and what He did for us on the cross of Calvary. That is more than enough reason to worship God. But we worship Jesus for the miracles that He does as, as well. Now, let's go back to the beginning. What Jesus says to his disciples, but with the man in, in earshot, he says, it wasn't that this man sinned with his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. And in some ways, that's an invitation to that blind man to put your faith with me so that we together can do the works of him who sent me. Remember, Jesus went to Nazareth, and because the people didn't believe, he wasn't able to do many mighty works there. So our faith is important. So it was an invitation to this man, let's, let's do this together. At the same time, of course, he's talking to his disciples, because the disciples are going to be the foundation for all the miracles that happen in the book of Acts and in the first century and the building of the church 
for the next 2,000 years, but it's also an invitation to us. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, My Father is working until now, and I am working. The Father is working, and I am working. And here Jesus said, We must work the works of Him who sent me. The last verse in the Gospel of Mark, it says, And they went out, and they preached the gospel everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message with accompanying signs. So a message that we can get from this scripture today is the Father is still working. And Jesus is still working. And the Holy Spirit is still working. Let there be no confusion. Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is still in the world because of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is with us. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I'm going away. So the Holy Spirit is here with us, and he is working, and Jesus is working, and the Father is working, and he's inviting us to work with him. So we must do the works of God. We must believe God for miracles. We must believe God for miracles in the soul and miracles in the spirit and miracles in the body. We must believe God for financial miracles. We must believe God for relational miracles, for reconciliation between brother and sister and husband and wife and parent and child. We must believe God for, for miracles of salvation and discipleship and changed lives because our God is able now to him who is able to do far above all that we ask or think, to him be the glory. The purpose of miracles is to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his love, and to bring glory, to bring glory to the Father. Right, let's pray for some miracles. Okay, let's, Helena, you can join me. Um, all around the world, God is moving. Um, Pierre is preaching in Kailicha this morning. We trust God for miracles and for the outpouring of his grace there. In our sister churches in Zola, in Port Elizabeth, um, in other churches throughout the Helderberg Basin. There's a, a college in the U.S., Asbury College. Maybe some of you have been reading about it where there's, there's a fresh outpouring and outbreaking of, of the power of God. But God is on the move. God is doing things. He's saying to us, where's your hope? Where's your faith today? For all of those miracles that I mentioned. So we're going to pray for miracles. We're going to pray for blind eyes to be opened. In the case of our, our friend Shane, I've been praying for Shane for 13 or 14 years. And Shane doesn't see the way God created him to see yet. But we're still praying. We're still worshiping God and we're trusting God for a miracle. Nick, we're going to pray for strength in your body. And Anne, Anne got up and, and stood and walked last week, but we're praying for a miracle in your back, Anne. And for anybody else that needs physical healing, wave your hand up high. We can all stand up. Wave your hand up. And if, if you need a miracle for anything else, please put your hand up. And if those, those that are around people with their hands up, Please pray for them. Let's pray for one another and let's trust God for miracles. Let's trust God that the Holy Spirit will come in fire 
in our hearts, in our bodies, in our souls, and bring about miracles. Can we do that? Amen. Spirit, we invite you to come now in power. Holy Father, Lord Jesus, Lord Holy Spirit, thank you for the invitation that we have received to work with you in building your kingdom, advancing your church, and bringing about signs and wonders in the name of Jesus because of your power, Lord, not because of anything that we've done. And though we be mediocre in faith, though we be lukewarm in love, Lord, we nonetheless ask you, we ask you, God of the universe, will you come, Lord God? Will you confirm your word with accompanying signs? Will you do miracles, Lord God, in the hearts of your people, in our families, in our bodies, Lord God, in our businesses, Lord God? We ask you, Lord, for the outpouring of your power in Jesus' name. those of you not sure what's going on right now people are praying so faith is being built and so if you need prayer why don't you pop your hand up and someone around you should pray for you it's nothing special about up here or in the pew God is on the move he performed this miracle on a dusty road he can definitely do it in a pew in a chapel in Somerset College So if there's anything that you need prayer for, whether it is, as Ant was saying, whether it's a physical need or a financial need or a relational need, let's pray for one another. Um, If you have a, a need for your marriages, if your marriage is taking some hits, it's a great time to pray. And the rest of you, let's let's trust how cool that God is doing miracles in people's lives. How cool that we can pray with and encourage. Let's do it. Let's dig in, family, and and let's pray together. 
And if you want prayer, we're here or we'll move around. But let's pray for one another. Amen. God is a good, good God. And the challenge that I want all of us to take away today is to continue believing in His goodness. That when we put our faith in God, it's primarily we put our faith in His goodness and His great power for what He's done for us. That He can change our lives. That He can perform miracles, that He can do supernatural things that change our circumstances, whether in the body or the soul or the spirit or your finances or relationship, God is able. And we will continue asking. We will continue like the the widow that Jesus spoke about that goes to the judge. We will continue to come to the throne of grace and ask Him for more of His grace. Let us trust God for healing in our lives, that He would wash away all bitterness, all unforgiveness, all shame, all guilt, all fear, as we put our faith and our trust in Him. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, 
15. May the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you put your faith and your trust in Him. And may He cause you to abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So can we do that? Can we go out in hope in our great God, the God of hope? And can we trust Him for miracles? As Michael said, big miracles and small miracles. And when you see a miracle, give Him the thanks and worship Him for it and testify to it. Amen. Have it, Amen. I want to encourage you as we go out this week, our God is a good God, as Anne said. Let's not be like the Pharisees who see a miracle and they say, ah, it wasn't God. It was, he can't do it on the Sabbath. He can't do it here. He can't do it there. God can choose wherever He wants to do a miracle to whoever, whenever. And when we see God do a miracle, let it open our eyes to how good He is. So this week, may you see God in His goodness. May it not be about the person who prayed for you or the church or any of that stuff. It's about Jesus and the hope that He is in our world. If you would like more prayer, no greater joy for Anto I or anybody else to pray for you. So we're here to pray for you. I would love to. The rest of you, let's go and have an amazing week. And may God be with you this week as you share boldly what He's doing in and through your lives. Amen. Have a wonderful week.